Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, we're jumping in with both feet today. Uh, life is real. And sometimes it's real hard. Uh, sometimes we'd like to come into this sanctuary as a form of a sanctuary away from the chaos of the world. But then the world is waiting for us on the other side. Well, Psalm 42, where we're going to be today in our Psalm study, is one of those that really dives into the real thick and the mire of life. And today, I think we need to understand that every one of us in this room has a story. Every one of us has a work of God that he's either doing or he is about to do or he has done. And we wanted you to hear from one of our members, one of our dear members that you pass in the hallways uh, Sunday after Sunday. And they've been a part of the church for a number of years. And I want Lori to kind of introduce you to Holly and hear a little bit of her story. Yeah, Holly um, came into our life actually... Um, as an answer to prayer for us, we had a son who was st- struggling with dyslexia. And about 14 years ago, j- uh, our worlds collided. Thank you, God. And uh, has been an incredible blessing to our family. But what we want to do today is we've, Holly, we've walked with you through, I know, a couple of really hard things. Even some people here in this room have walked with you through those But I know even over the last 14 years, that doesn't even sum it up. And we're not even going to sum it up in a condensed few minutes here up on the stage. And so, as Mike said, we're going to jump into the deep end. And like the first service, you were so honest and transparent, which I think is appreciated. And uh, so here's what I want to do is I just want you to, let's go back to the first time where you just really hit that place of, deep loss and pain and grief. And why don't you just take our hand and journey us with you up to today? Okay. Uh, I was raised in the church and I love God my early age, followed him and um, married at 24 to a man I thought was the most godly man I'd ever met. And on the honeymoon, he changed. And actually he was a narcissist. And um, knew my trigger points um, and verbally abused me for 10 years. And I clung to God because I needed to know I was loved. And I cried out and I grew in my relationship with him. But I, I didn't succeed in hearing back. You know, it's a two-way street. I... I tried to please my husband so badly. I couldn't change him, so I'd change myself. And so whatever he said I needed to change, I would change until there was nothing left. Um, Also in that marriage, I couldn't get pregnant. I went through six years of infertility um, with all the hormones and then an IV treatment with 26 hormones, uh, shots in one month, and two surgeries. Everything's textbook perfect, no reason. It didn't work. So with all that heartbreak, my body began to break down. Um, Went to the hospital, and we thought it were panic attacks. They were actually called 
we know now, I didn't learn it until about three years ago. The name of it is psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. It's called from PTSD, from holding it in and not um, really processing through what you need to process through in trauma. So I ended up in a mental ward for three weeks. Um, They thought it was a medicine detox I needed, but actually it was my emotions. And in the mental ward, they said, get away from that man. You'll never come back. I mean, you'll never function normally if you don't. So I did. And uh, moved home. But another, a good thing that happened during that 10-year marriage was, yes, I, I couldn't have a baby, but God allowed me to have adoption. And I was able to adopt a beautiful little girl from birth. Her name is Amanda. And man, were we close. Because as uh, times were rougher in the marriage, she gave me a reason to live. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys had been married for how long? I was married 10 years to him. And it ended? Yes. Because? Because uh, while I was in the mental ward, I finally cried out to him. You kept telling me that, that you would make me in what you needed me to be because I, I wasn't good enough. And I screamed at him and said, look what you made. Here I am. And at that point, he finally admitted that he'd been unfaithful for years. And um, that gave me a freedom to walk away. So it's you and it's Amanda, and you left um, this marriage. Um, and there's some time that goes by. I know there's a lot, like we are jumping from (laughs) one year to the next, right? Um, there's a lot that takes place during that time, but you meet Dave. I do. Who also had come from a divorce situation, Mm -hmm. whose spouse had also committed adultery. So you guys had a lot in common. You were also believers. So tell us a little bit about Dave and that relationship and how you came together. (laughs) He, we were in our in our former lives. We were both active in church, and Dave was my home group leader. And um, I, when Amanda was adopted, he and his wife gave us a baby shower for Amanda, and then five years later, he became Amanda's daddy, Dave, which was unheard of. And it was also his his wife who told me about the birth mom. Hmm. That gave me Amanda. Um, so we were friends, and one day he, he came up to Arkansas after his divorce just to check to see how I was doing as an old friend. And we didn't figure out that we liked each other. It was Amanda who figured it out. She was jealous because she could see something going on. So it's on. not just 16-year-olds who can't figure it out. It's <laughs> like, okay, I get this. Okay. But you guys, you get together. You you get married. Yeah. And um, you've been, you had been married for how long? 28 years. Okay, 28 years. All right, so about that time is when you guys, not long after that, when you started coming to Grace Point, right? Well, first we had another tragedy before Grace Point. Okay. Um, Eight years into our marriage, we were active in our church in Dallas in the youth ministry, and we were going to church camp as sponsors. 
There were two charter buses. We were in the front, and Amanda was in the second one. And the driver was a replacement driver who came late, and he had been on cocaine and Valium and hadn't slept that night. And he ran the bus into an overpass. And four, all 49 on the bus were injured. Nine were care-flighted. Five were killed instantly. And Amanda, at age 13, died there on the scene. And we were on the scene to, to see it all. <sighs> when it happened... Um, my faith was really challenged. The first time it was it was challenged was in the mental ward. That was that was a real breaking point. I screamed at God and screamed, I tried to follow you. I did all that I thought I was supposed to do. I, I changed myself all that I knew to do. Why did you let this happen? You are not good. You don't love me. And you gotta prove you love me because I don't believe anything anymore. And I spiraled deep, deep, deep. It was so much greater than even the, the pain. And then God showed me the cross. I mean, really showed me. He's already done it all. What more could he do? He came in my mess. He took my mess and he died so I could be free from it. When I, I realized that, I began to stand again and rebuild. But then when Amanda died, I broke apart again. And not only my faith, my body, I went into non-epileptic seizures, and they didn't end for three years. And I screamed at God about that. I screamed. I've been around you when you've had your seizures, and you can tell the pain that you're in and so forth. I remember uh, a few years ago, Mike and I got a phone call that they had taken you uh, to the hospital. You want to tell us about that journey? Yeah, I had a, a, a brain bleed after Amanda died. Um, it was just four years ago, no reason for it. And um, it was the most fatal kind of aneurysm. 50% um, die on the spot, 50% die in the hospital, and only a third can make it without lasting disabilities. I'm a miracle. <laughs> you are, and but, we're thankful. But I still have seizures when I get under high stress. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, we're not trying to, like, elevate pain. I think what we're trying to say is to say, hey, look, we all go through some kind of level of something, and we know that Holly has been through this journey of what we've just talked about, three major, um, I would call them seasons of grief and mourning and pain and suffering and loss, and probably you could add a lot of adjectives to that. I mean, I'm going to bring this up to about 10 months ago. Um, Mike and I were about 10 minutes from your house, actually, when we got a phone call that Dave had suddenly died. Um, many of you knew him. We loved him. Um, 
And I remember coming to your house. Actually, Dave, I think, was wearing that shirt. <laughs> he was. Yes. Um, Love is greater than hate. Yeah. So tell us, Holly, that was 10 months ago. Okay. And so I'm going to say what I think other people are probably thinking. You've been through all of this. And I know there's a story in Job where he's <laughs> losing everything. Possessions, family, ho- like everything, right? And do you remember what his wife says? His wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? So I think there's a lot of people in here that are like, Holly, how? Like, do you, do you question God? Where, where are you in this process? Honestly. Honestly, I am grieving very deeply. He was my best friend and my everything. And yeah, I've, sometimes I ask God, why? But the honest answer is, I don't want to know because it's not going to change it. And I don't like it. And it's not good. But the good part is, I don't have to know why. And I don't have to find the control because God does. And I don't give up because I believe God's good. And I'm living in a fallen world that's not. So if I focus my eyes on him that's good, I have a future. When we finished in the first service and we went back to the back and you can imagine, like, when we get back there, this is hard, right? And so we both yeah, are crying. And you said something back there. You said, turn up the volume. Mike was speaking. You wanted to hear the scriptures because scripture, the Bible, has brought you such peace in your life. We're going to have Holly actually read a chapter, Psalm 42, today. Um, and I think when you hear these words, again, it's a, it's a psalm. It's called Lament. You're going to hear words in there of the writer, I think, maybe, as Holly was saying, maybe at times even screaming to God, where are you? Um, and so, Holly, we're going to have you read this, and then I'm going to pray, and then Mike will come, okay? okay. Um, the first part of this verse we sang, and I just have to mention that Dave used to sing this song to his kids when he put them to bed at night. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the multitude leading the procession in the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Oh, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. By night his song is with me. The prayers of the God of my life. 
I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I know that um, when you read this passage that, I mean, you and I have talked a lot, that these aren't just words on a page. Like, you feel them deeply, and it has been even your cry and your prayer. I want to pray for Holly. Um, Mike's going to come in just a minute. But we also want to, and I know Holly would agree, like, we realize that in this room, as we get ready to jump into the psalm, that there's a lot of deep crying out to deep. That there can be heartache that even you're sitting in a room surrounded by people who have no clue what it is that you're going through or the questions that you may be asking of yourself or of God. And so I'm going to pray for Holly. I want to pray for you, and then Mike is going to come. God, we, we pause for a moment. And we recognize that you are God who knows all things. God, things we can't answer. God, things that don't make sense to us. You are completely aware. God, there is no place that we can go and hide from you. You know our thoughts before we think them. You know the words before they even are our tongue. God, we thank you for Holly, even for Dave. God, and how much they have poured into so many people here at this church. God, we pray for comfort for Holly. We pray that you would guide Holly. God, we pray that in the deepest, darkest places in her home that she would know just in the stillness of her heart that you are there and you are aware. And God, I pray the same for people here in this room. God, whatever their journey has been in the past, God, whatever it is that they're walking in today, God, you know all things. God, I pray you would comfort them, that you would guide them, that you would counsel them. And God, in the deepest places of their own soul, that God, even today as we read the scripture, that they too would know that you are there. It is in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Holly, thank you for being so honest and transparent and just taking us on a sliver of your life journey. Thank you. Would you affirm, Holly? I don't know your story. You probably passed Holly in our church hallways any number of times and probably just thought she was another lady in the church. Every one of us has a story. Every one of us has gone through seasons Maybe you're in the middle of that season of pain, bewilderment, broken. Maybe yours is not just like hers. Hopefully it's not, but you've had your story. You've had your pain. You've had your anxiety. 
You've struggled with your depression. You know, we live today, I mean, clearly in a mental health crisis is the, the phraseology that is out there today. And it can be affirmed by any and every counselor that, that, that you talk to out there. In fact, since 2005 to 2017, Anxiety and depression as a, an emotional disorder has increased 63% among young adults. Notice, that's before COVID. And we were on a very high trajectory of a nation, of a people that are struggling with anxiety and depression. And again, there's no, here I'll say this, there's no silver bullet, there's no easy cure, there's no like magic wand, there's no pixie dust that I can sprinkle over our lives today. But here's what I could say. When you open the book of Psalms, you're opening up a book that is very real and very raw, and it goes straight to the heart of our lives. Sometimes it confronts us, sometimes it comforts us. We see God of compassion and we see a God of wonder because I have questions for you, God, and you're not answering them. I've got bad news and I've got good news. The bad news is that no one is exempt. If you're not there today, if you're not in that place of pain today, there will be a day of a loss, of a betrayal, of a hurt, of, of, a, of a diagnosis, of, of a whatever. Again, fill in the blank of a thousand different options. So we're all going to be there at some time where we're struggling with that, with that anxiety and that hurt and that pain. And I, let me say this, thanks to your generosity yet again, one of the things that we have realized even among our pastoral team, that we as caregivers spiritually need to be healthy. And because of your generosity, what we've done, we've, we've joined into a network of, of counselors for pastors, people in the grind of ministry. And we've made it available to every staff member, every pastor on staff to just work through their stuff because we all have it and we're all going through it. The organization that we've been a part of, that we've joined into, now now any pastor that joined is on a wait list because the, the, the network has grown so full of so many pastors that are needing help themselves. And the reason I keep emphasizing this is because the pastors are the ones closest to God, Right? The pastors are the ones who are supposed to have their life together, right? The pastors are supposed to have all the answers, right? But yet, even we struggle. This organization that we're with, two years ago, had 735 pastors in their network. Today, two years later, 5,100. You tell me the percentage of growth on that. They literally now don't have enough counselors to help with the number of pastors, the sole caregivers, the realize is that no one is exempt. So that's the bad news. The good news is there is hope. We're not the first ones to go through this pain. We're not the first ones to go through the crises. We're not the first ones to have loss and betrayal and brokenness and abuse. We're not the first. And so how can we learn and grow? In 1965, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the pastor of Westminster Church in, in England, in London, he wrote a book called Soul uh, Spiritual Depression. It was a time whenever pastors did not speak about it. It became one of his best-selling books because he was talking about an issue in 1965. That was an issue then. The mystics called this the dark night of the soul. The Puritans called it God's dreadful withdrawal. 
Let those two phrases hang on you for a moment. Are you in a dark night of the soul? Do you feel like you've gone through God's dreadful withdrawal? Do you feel like that, that, that it's like God, all the world is closing in on you and you're experiencing loss and pain and betrayal, whatever, and, and all of a sudden, where is God? Where are you? This is not the life that I was expecting. We're in the Psalms. If you haven't found Psalm 42, you need to find it. Um, we're, we challenged everyone last week to join in through the 160, 106 days that we would read through the, the, the book of Psalms. That's through the summer and in, in, into September. And, and listen, we have done challenges like this before for seven days, for 40 days. This is 106 days. So this is the marathon, okay? But listen to this. You've responded so much. We've done about four of these. More people have responded to the 106-day challenge to read the Psalms all the way through than any other challenge. We literally filled up one group, had to start another group, and it's going to be close to be filling up by the end of the day. The point is, be a part. Jump into the Psalms. And when you jump in, you're going to see yourself like a mirror. In fact, this morning, this morning's reading, Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. These are the very first words that I read when I woke up this morning. Oh, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? Maybe that's you. God, where are you? You're so far over there, and I am right here, and my pain is here. Where are you? Why are you so far from me? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this about the Psalms of Lament. He said, where do you find more miserable, more wretched, more, uh, more depressing words than the Psalms of Lamentations? Don't worry. There's encouragement. Hang in there. There you see into the heart of all the saints as into death, even into hell. How sad and dark it is. But like I said, there's no easy answers. There's no silver bullets. There's no pixie dust. It's the reality that all of us face. Psalms has about seven different genres of literature inside of it. One of those is the Psalm of, Psalms of Lament. Listen, there's lots of them. You can't read through the Psalms and not see the Psalms of Lament. And this is not an, an exhaustive list. But you know what's ironic? When I ask you to give us your favorite Psalms, not a single person gave us a Psalm of Lament. My favorite is groaning and weeping and gnashing of teeth. I get it but it would be an injustice to you as your pastor to say, we're going to study the Psalms, but we're not going to deal with lament, pain, suffering, hurt, loss. In the Psalm 42 that we're focusing in on today, it says, the tears have been my food day and night. You ever been in that moment when you just couldn't stop crying? You just couldn't, couldn't gain control of the emotions. Maybe you're not a crier. Maybe you're a bottler. And you just literally were boiling on the inside. I tell people cry because it's the pressure valve on your heart. Let it, let it out. Deep calls to deep. The roar of your waterfalls all are breakers. Your waves have gone over me. I am drowning. 
That's what the sons of Korah are writing here. The sons of Korah wrote 11 of the Psalms of the 150. Remember I said last week, there's a a whole host of different writers written over a thousand years. The sons of Korah write 11 of the Psalms. Of these 11 Psalms, this is one of them. The sons of Korah are the Korites, or were Levites. They were the ones who led the worship inside the temple. So think of the band. We ought to name them the sons of Korah because that's the band in the temple, leading them in worship. We don't know all the backstory. I don't know your story. You don't know my story. We don't know their story. We just know that they're in a dark night of the soul. We just know that they feel abandoned by God. You know what? How do we walk through the dark nights of the soul? How do we walk through anxiety and depression? How do, we, how do we manage the tears when the tears are our food? Honestly. Honestly. Honest with yourself, but also honest with God. The title of this message is Honest to God. Three honest practices. If you're going to walk through pain, disappointment, hurt, loss, whatever, diagnosis, whatever it is, these are three practices for a healthy honesty with God. Number one, be authentic about your present. What's going on right now? What's the pain? Where's the hurt? Where's the betrayal? What are you experiencing? What's going on emotionally? But here's the thing. You can't be honest with God until you are first honest with yourself so that you can be honest with God. You will not be in trouble in heaven if you're angry with God. You will not be in trouble in heaven if you ask God why or when or where. You see that in the Psalms. Throughout, Psalm 42, Psalm 43 actually go together. Now, I know there's a chapter break in there. Those chapter breaks, they came in the 13th century. The verse breaks came in the 16th century. So the inherent word of God that we have as the word of God did not have chapters, did not have verses. They were put in long centuries later after the scriptures were compiled. But what we have here is we have 42 and 43, and they're really just one psalm. You read it and you'll see the continuity throughout it. But they broke it up, whatever reason. Notice the questions that are being asked. And they're not asked once, they're asked multiple times. They're asking, where is your God? And you might have friends that literally may be saying to you, man, where is your God? If that's the God you have, I don't want anything to do with your God. You might have people be asking, okay, God, where are you? When are you going to appear? Where can I be with you again? I feel like you're so far off. I'm cast down. Why is there such turmoil in me? Morning. Did you hear inside of her voice, Holly's voice? Morning is real. And sometimes morning is unrelenting. Forgotten? Man, forgotten by somebody, forgotten by God? God, you would not forget me. Surely you would. You feel forgotten. You feel betrayed. You feel rejected. Listen, you're in good company. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but when Jesus was walking this earth, when Jesus was living out his, his ministry, 
And it's coming to the apex of, of everything. He's coming to the cross. He's coming to that time. It was not just a transaction between heaven and hell and, and, and darkness and light. It was not just, it was like, it was personal. It was real. And one of the prayers that Jesus prays when he's hanging on the cross is from the Psalms. The unique study to study all the prayers of Jesus and how he prays the Psalms. Here's one of them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now you've got to understand what's happening in that prayer. He's praying that prayer in the New Testament because he read it in the Old Testament because he read the Psalms. He memorized it. It is God hanging on the cross in the darkest hours of the cross. In the middle of the day, it goes dark. All of the download, I call it the big download of, of all the sin, of all humanity, of all time, all weighing on to the heart and the soul and the body of Jesus. And it's in that moment that God, the Father himself, turns his back on his son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus doesn't quote the rest of the verse, but here's what else it says. Why are you so far from saving me? You feel alone. You feel abandoned. You feel betrayed. You know, this is not just wash over Jesus and because he's God, he can just kind of walk. He was fully God, fully man. And there were emotions involved and there was depression and anxiety involved. Yes, I will go so far as to say that because of what it says in John chapter 12, verse 27, when Jesus out of his own mouth said this, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? There are so many questions that Jesus asks of even the Father, and he never gets an answer. You can ask God, and he won't give you an answer sometimes. Will you be okay with that? You can ask when, you can ask why, you can ask what, you can ask where. And literally, this soul troubled, I looked it up in a Greek lexicon, and it means an, an, an indicative of distress, of affliction, of danger. So his soul is literally afflicted, distressed, in danger, and is violently shaken. Is one of the words used to describe this word. His soul is violently shaken. Yes, Jesus himself was in deep pain. But here's the beauty. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize. In Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, with our pains, with our hurts. But in every respect, he has been tempted, and yet he is without sin. Now, that is a beautiful verse about the sinlessness of Jesus, but I don't want you to miss the first part of it, that he can sympathize. Whatever you're going through, he can sympathize. Well, what do I do with it? What am I supposed to do with it? Just bottle it up? Because I got questions for God. Ask them. Be authentic about your presence. The very next verse. You need a verse to memorize this week? Here it is. Let us draw near with confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near. Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Getting what I don't deserve that I may receive mercy, not getting what I do deserve, and find grace to help in my time of need. 
Listen, the best thing you could do in a season of dark pain is be honest with God. Be authentic about your present circumstance and situation. But number two is be reflective about your past. So it's, it's one thing to be in the present and to live in the presence. I get that. But how am I going to get hope? How am I going to move past this? How am I going to survive in it? I can medicate it. I can drug it. I can, I can, I can eat it. I, I'm a stress eater, so I can say that a lot. Uh, I can, I can do, I can buy things. There's a lot of ways I can medicate self in the present. But one of the ways I'm going to make it in the pain of the present is attaching myself and remember and reflecting the pain and the provision of the past. Here's a life principle for you. It's kind of long. One of the best ways to make it through the dreadful withdrawal of God, of the present, is to remember God's faithful presence in your past. Go back to that time. Go back to that season. Go back to that event when God got you through that. I hope you have pillars and markers in the ground that you have put stakes in the ground that you will not forget. Verse 6, he says, And my God, my my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, now I'm going to respond to my downcast soul. What am I going to do? I'm going to remember I'm going to remember. I'm going to recall. I'm going to reflect. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to that time when God was with me. What am I going to remember? I'm going to go back to the Jordan. Let's just focus on the Jordan. Go back to the Jordan. Why do you go back to the Jordan? Because whenever Joshua led the people of Israel across the Jordan River, when they're going through, they picked up 12 stones. They stacked the stones up in Gilgal, and he gave them very clear instructions. And here they are. The people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day in the first month, and they encamped by Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And the 12 stones in which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask your fathers uh, in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. It's a great reminder when you have 12 stones piled up of God's provision. Where are your 12 stones? Where are your nine stones? Where's where's your stones of God's provision in your past that will help you into the present? God is constantly telling us to remember his covenant. Remember the Sabbath. Paul told Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Jesus said when he was issuing the communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. See, the remembering, what it does is in the hot moment of the past, that all we, of the present, that all we can feel is the pain of the present. What this does is it gives us energy to say, hey, God was faithful back here. He's going to be faithful here so I can get hope for there which then leads me to the third. Be hope-filled with your future. Be hope-filled with your future. So, authentic with the past, or authentic with the present, reflective of the past, hope-filled for the future. Let me read Psalm 119, 49 and 50. Remember your promises to me. It is my hope. 
It's my hope. God, I need you to remember the promises. I'm going to remind you of the promises. I'm going to remember the promises. I'm going to tell God in my prayers about the promises because that gives me hope. It revives me. It comforts me in my troubles. Now, let me just say this about hope. Hope is not hope that my circumstances are going to change. I really wish I could tell you that. But you know what? If you're diagnosed with that disease... If you've experienced that divorce, if you've been abused in your past, I don't care how far back it's been, if you've got a rap sheet, your circumstances may not change. And so it's not hope that the pain's going to go away. It's not hope that the circumstances are going to change. And one of the things that really grates on me is people say, just don't lose hope. As if hope is the object. Hope in hope is empty and shallow. You've got to have hope anchored to something. And by the time you reflect on the past of God's faithfulness in your past, then I can have hope in the God of the future. Because three different times in the passage, he says this, hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. God. You want to know where your hope is? It's not anchored to your circumstances. It's not anchored to the pain going away. It's not anchored to hope, hope in hope. It is anchored to the God who will get you through. Psalm 23, he didn't say that you won't walk through the valley of shadow of death. He actually said the shepherd will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death and he will be with you. He's the way maker. He's the light in the darkness. Even when you don't feel him, he's working. When you don't see him, he's working. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength. Stop. I don't want to say anything else. A very present help in trouble. He didn't get us out of trouble while we're in the trouble. He's our refuge and our strength. In my distress, I called on the Lord. In pain and distress, I praised the Lord. He, when you don't see him, he's working. When you don't feel him, he is working. You know, again, I I apologize. I will definitely next week be speaking on Psalms that you recommended. But because I get to choose, here we are today. Last week we did Psalm 1. This week we did a Psalm of Lament because it would just do Psalms and injustice. To not be able to deal with the real rawness of life. In fact, there's so many psalms and there's so many, not only all the psalm is, the ones I showed you were the entire chapters devoted to lamentation, okay, lamenting. But there are others that are just like even verses scattered in, in the midst of it. So there's, I would say probably a third of the psalms are, are laments. But there's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations, by the way. In fact, Jeremiah, the prophet, wrote that one. And it's a real beautiful work of art. But here, i got to tell you about it. When you read it, you'll notice it now. That when you begin Lamentations, you'll see it's dark. And it stays dark. And it stays dark. And it stays dark. When you read the back of Lamentations and you get to the last words, it's dark, it's dark, it's dark, it's dark. But there's an apex. And this is a Hebrew chiasm. Hebrew poetry here. 
the chiastic point in time that is pointing to one section of verses and it's right in the middle of the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 to 25. The steadfast, this is the volcano of all the darkness of it coming out. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We're going to deal with that next week because that's throughout the book of Psalms. Never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Remember he told us to go before that with confidence before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy? His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. The Lord, uh, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. It's not hope in hope. It's not hope in better circumstances. It's not hope in the pain will go away. It's sometimes I will live in the pain, but I will have hope in God. The Lord is good to those who wait on Him, to the soul who seeks Him. We started this reading from Psalm 42, verse 1. And it says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul, so my soul pants for you. Think about dehydration. Think about fatigue. Think about a drought. And then put a deer in the middle of that. That deer is going to walk and walk and walk and long and long and long for that safe, secure pan of water. So should we long for God. Uh, Horatio Spafford, probably have not named your kids that. Uh, Horatio um, was an attorney in Chicago. And this is in the 1800s. And um, he, um, wealthy until the great Chicago fire. And a lot of the property that he owned was burned up. Um, Two years after the Chicago fire, he was putting his family on a boat to go to England for a vacation. And to kind of recharge, recollect themselves He put them on the boat. He was getting on the boat until he was called away that he needed to stay. There was some business that he had to take care of. So he left the family, put them on the boat. He walks away and he takes care of his business all the while, while the family is sailing from from the States to England. A tragedy happens. November 1873, you can look it up. The SS Villa de Harva crashes into another vessel, and within 12 minutes, it sank to the bottom of the ocean. 226 people drowned. Spafford's daughters, Tanata, Maggie, Annie, and Bessie, were four of the victims. His wife survived miraculously. She made it to Wells, where obviously communication was slow, but made it back. And Horatio got on the next available boat, was told where the accident happened, and was going there, and as long as he could, would stay on the bow of the boat, waiting to get to that spot, that memorial, that grave spot where his four daughters lie at rest. When he got there, a warm peace came over him. 
a gentle peace in his soul. That he goes back to his cabin and he begins to pen the words of the song that to this day we sing. When sea billows roll, when the sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, but this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be made known. It's like, I'm not there yet, God. I'm still living in faith. My shell, my face shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as the scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. 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 God is not interested in Christian platitudes or quick cliches of Christianity. Be honest and authentic with where you are with God in your circumstances. Be reflective of the pain, but of the victory in His provision in the past. And let that be the hope that in your trouble, He is your refuge. In your trouble, you are hoping in God. He is your faith. Would you bow your heads with me? Hoping in God is where it all begins. The most simple three-letter sentence stated three times in two chapters. That's your call to action today. Have you given yourself to Jesus as your hope, as your life? If you haven't, that's where it begins. Right here where you're at, just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need hope. I need healing. I need forgiveness. I need, I need to be restored in my relationship with you. Just tell him that. But I know a lot of Christians, a lot of people who have been Christians for a long time, and they get stuck in the pain of the present. And they just want to walk away from God. And I get it. I understand it. Hope in God. Maybe today your prayer is, God, renew and restore my hope in you. Father God, may everyone in this room be able to say from deep, deep inside, deep calls to deep, deep inside them, that it is well with their soul. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.